0: You're not going to drink a whole 24-ounce tall boy of beer, but how about 12 ounces and then maybe another six? And I think that is really what, um, in, in cultures like this, could really work. Hey, everybody, and welcome to a new episode
1: of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports with all kinds of interesting people executives and athletes and coaches and entrepreneurs which is a little hint preview of what we're going to get into today um and we try to focus on all things that are new exciting and disruptive and i'm happy to be back on a zoom pod with my partner joe favorito joe it's been a couple of weeks that we've been apart so it's good to see you via zoom it's good to be back doing a show with you what's going on
2: Hopefully, Tom, maybe we can actually do one of these in person at some point because it's been <laughs> three and a half years actually. So is that a crazy thought? Yeah, yeah um, mm-hmm. well, look,
1: in a way it's it's this is this has worked out pretty well because we've been able to get guests from all over the yeah. place, which is a bonus. It's maybe. also just more convenient from a scheduling standpoint. And frankly, at least uh, at least in my humble opinion, a lot of the shows we've done work out quite well because of the nature of Zoom. You can get into mm-hmm. a nice conversation. Uh, so I think they've been pretty good. But yes, I would like that, Joe, as long as it's not in the teacher's college building that used to require I, I an that, hour that to that get rooms to get
2: into. <laughs> and the room is still there, like the old radio studio. I'm sure it is. is. So. I'm I, Look,
1: it's hard to imagine anything changed during the lockdown and the yeah. pandemic. So it's still there. Anyway, lots going on in the sports business right now, Joe. What uh, would you like to mention as something you've been... Working on, or or seeing, or mm. or paying attention to—that's worth a,
2: a quick chat. Well, we're both doing this as actual people versus AI or AI or VR. How do you know or... that? Because um, I'm looking at you, and you have a Taylor Swift <laughs> album cover over your shoulders. So this. Whoa, 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 one... whoa,
1: That's not a Taylor Swift. No? I, you you got to get my album cover straight. That's not Taylor Swift. I can hardly see. Do that. I look like a Taylor Swift fan? No, you? I was very surprised. That's why I brought it up. Are you t- about the woman, like right here? Yeah. That would be Joni Mitchell's one her okay. her first album or I was gonna say album, that was actually. very surprising yeah. to me, which is what no plus you you gotta think about the era I grew up in, you know. Right. So a lot of these albums are from as you can but see, actually,
2: like, Tom 70s, 80s. If it is Joni Mitchell, that is part of something you could pull from AI. You may not be able to pull anything from Taylor Swift because of uh, the recent I guess you could because it's more than two years old, but uh, I think that's one of the things that's going to be really interesting. I'm sure you heard the podcast with the former president of the United States and Joe Rogan, which was totally done from AI, and you could no. Attack.
1: That sounds both amazing. weirdly interesting and really scary. So yeah. uh, I'll and, maybe um, able to ch- ch- check that out.
2: You know, I've been using ChatGPT for some things. Um, I've been I actually told some students that like you know we have these tools that can tell whether you're using ChatGPT or not, which is may or probably may or may not be true. Uh, but um, I I think it it will serve its purpose. Um, It's not anything for everybody to panic about because everybody panics about everything that's going to come along that's going to change the world. Um, And none of it really changes everything. It changes some things and hopefully you use them for the better. And frankly, using them for the better is one of the things that I'm really excited about this podcast because we're going to learn from some of our current students about some things that they're working on, which could be for the better. How's that? Yeah, wise? let me just mention, I can't wait yeah. to have this conversation with our students
1: yeah. we haven't done a student yeah. pod in, in such a long time. But one more thing I found out just in the last few days that might be interesting on this AI topic. So you know that the competitor to OpenAI, at, at, well, ChatGPT4, which is owned by or run by uh, OpenAI, is one of the competitors, Google Bard. So their mm-hmm. nickname is Bard. So what I found out the other day is that they may be the first example. I may not have all the facts straight on this, but I think I've got the the, the general idea right. Cause I listened to, I've been listening to a lot about AI. <clears throat> that even Sam, we were recording this the day that there was an AI hearing in Washington DC, senatorial hearing, which was fascinating. And the guest list was a few industry folks, one woman from IBM a professor from NYU who specializes in AI technology, and then Sam Altman, who's the CEO and founder of OpenAI, and he's kind of Mr. AI in Silicon Valley. So he mentioned that ChatGPT4, I believe I got this right, the, the LLM, the large language model that it's based on currently, because I think we've all tried it, is from 2021, to your point it's right. not necessarily new data sets or models that they're using google bard i found out last week is actually and and this is, can be tested by the way too all you need is a gmail account to log in you go, there's a there's a page google bard page mm-hmm. like there's a chat gpt page it's real time data scraping mm-hmm. so for more practical usages about let's say travel or something happening with events It can be Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, one of the guys in the all in podcast I was listening to last week talked about planning a trip and they basically Mm -hmm. named the city. They named the dates. They they gave some parameters about the types of hotels, um, some priorities about the nature of the travel, like fastest route versus cheapest route, things like that. And literally it was all done in a a matter of seconds. Uh, It was kind of uh, an eye opener for me. Because I think many of us who had experimented with chat GPT-4 were ultimately coming to the conclusion, like, first of all, there's a lot of inaccuracies. I know that I've I've tried enough to see inaccuracies. For example, I I checked my company, Mercury, about uh, our background and our reputation. It said that we did the apps for Major League Baseball and the National Football League. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, we've worked, as you know, with the NBA.
2: I'll go talk about You want to hear a gross inaccuracy? A friend of mine, Mark Jones, put in was toying around with ChatGPT and put in, "Tell me the biggest experts in sports media and communications." Uh-oh, and I came up third. Wow, Scott right. Galloway was ahead of me. Really? I, For sports, yeah, he so, barely he
1: knows nothing about sports. Actually. I know but, he's smart, so but he doesn't, doesn't know anything about so, sports. But so, anyway. I, I thought I, I was. I was going to ask, were you happy about being third, or or just unhappy of not being first? Like I'm uh, never,
2: never, I'm never first in anything, so it doesn't matter.
1: Really- anyway, so that so that's an interesting distinction, Judge. I just want to point that out because it's evolving so quickly now. Yeah. The applications, including the world of sports, if it's based on real-time LLMs, is a different thing. So, you think about like the the WNBA season is opening this weekend on Friday. Mm-hmm. So if I was interested in a New York Liberty game, I might do the I could do the traditional thing of going, let's say, to the website, looking and clicking on tickets, blah blah blah. I could try it through Google Bar and conceivably do everything I need to do to get to a game. So Mm -hmm. I haven't tried that personally, but I will.
2: Maybe I'll try it. I'm going to. This is a Tuesday. I'm going to City Field tomorrow night. I'm interested to put in and see. Yeah, I mean, give it a shot. So yeah, just all I would say is just watch
1: out for the inaccuracies.
2: So uh, by the way, yeah. And Tom, one more thing I want to point out before we get to our guests, we have now reached the continued sports championship winter in New York, where it is now the longest drought in in the history of New York sports, where none of the four professional leagues have a winner from New York. The Yankees were the last one. Obviously, all the winter seasons are over, but just goes to show you how great New York is, as long as you don't want to come and put a ring on your finger. Yeah, well... Uh,
1: and then you told me about that new podcast about James Dolan. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to yeah. mention that quickly? Cause it could be pretty interesting uh, to some the of the New York listeners. It.
2: Anybody can look it up. It was a five episode podcast that I guess dropped today, uh, Tuesday, May 16th. And it is all about um, the, the folly of uh, what goes on at the world's most greatest, the world's most greatest arena, Madison Square Garden. So yeah. anyway. Um, yeah. Um, but that sounds pretty great. Okay. So, As
1: mentioned, we have, as our guest today, a group of students who have done something really, really impressive and really interesting. They're a group of entrepreneurs who came together to actually participate in a hackathon. And I'm not going to give away the, the punchline of the story. I'll just say that they did something really fascinating, something they can all be very proud of. I think the program can be proud of. And we are pleased to welcome them today. It's a team of five students who are currently in our Columbia Sports Management Graduate Program. Three of them were students of mine in the, these last few months. So it's a, it's a double bonus for me to, to have this conversation. So I think rather than try to introduce them all ourselves, Joe, we'll ask to, them to go around the horn and just say, um, introduce themselves quickly. And then we'll set up the uh, the story. And then we're actually going to hear the pitch they gave for this new business they had in mind. So let's start with uh, Christina. Ladies first, Christina. So um, please introduce yourself.
3: Thank you for having us. Hi everyone, I'm Christina. Uh, I just finished my first semester at Columbia University and I'm originally from Chengdu, China.
1: Nice, good
4: to have you, Christina. Uh, Pablo. Hey guys, I'm Pablo Eckhart. I'm from a small town in the south of Spain. And I also just
5: finished my first semester at Columbia University. And Hernan. Hey everyone, how are you? My name is Hernan Gonzalez. I am from Peru. Um, I'm I'm also finishing my. I've already finished my first semester here in Colombia. So I'm I'm really thrilled to be here with with all of you.
1: Great. And Naya. Uh,
6: yeah. Hi, my name is Naya, and thank you for having us today. So I just finished my second semester. And yeah, I'm from Japan, and also I listen to your podcast. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, so I'm very honored.
1: Thank you. That was nice that you threw that in at the end of your introduction. That was One one out of four, Tom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He will get the the majority of the speaking minutes as a result of that statement. Uh, Last but not least, Manzi.
0: Hey, uh, my name is Daniel Manzi. I'm from Miami, Florida, and I just finished my first semester at Club University. I also am a huge fan of the podcast, and I heard about it when I was actually applying to the program. So great recruiting mechanism, by the way.
1: Good, yeah. good improv move, man. That, that, nicely done there. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, okay, so the setup here for these guys is that a sports business publication and uh, media business that we're all well aware of in the sports business called sports business from London does a hackathon. And in the sports business what's the exact name? The sports, I'm sorry, sports pro, the sports pro hackathon. That's the official name. I'm sorry for screwing that up. The sports pro hackathon 2023 included a challenge to all, you I guess it was just to universities. You guys can clarify this. um, That focused on building a sustainability legacy program through fan engagement and community development. So if, if you can get through all those buzzwords and come out on the other side, you can see that there can be some really interesting ideas around that. So a, a number of universities participated and the representation from Columbia was the esteemed group we have on today, and they did something really interesting. So rather than try to describe it, why don't we start off with you guys describing it and then spending a few minutes in actually giving the pitch you delivered and telling, what, telling everybody what happened after you delivered it. Yeah, go ahead, and by it. the way,
2: it did not involve pickleball or sports gambling, which is really good.
1: <laughs> yes, so- it was very refreshing in that regard. And, but, and also, I thought it was great that they picked sustainability as mm-hmm. a topic this year, because yes. it's an issue in sports that gets mentioned. I get some lip service from time to time. But in the, at least the events I've attended and the environments I've been in, haven't seen much tangible... change with what it calls sustainability issues uh, at, let's say, the live sports event. So, um, Manzi, why don't you kick it off, just give a little bit more context, and and then when you're ready, just go into the pitch, and you can decide how you're going to share everything with with your uh, colleagues.
0: Yeah. Uh, So, um, we were part of the, the team that represented Columbia University. There was 17 universities that were in attendance. It's a the hackathon structured uh, across three challenges. Um, one of those is the one that we chose, which had to do with sustainability um, and also re- uh, replicating that beyond. Um, so the whole premise of this was, okay, we are using IOC and Copenhagen to create this new idea for what the 2030 um, Olympics would look like. And regarding sustainability, our idea had to do with beverage consumption and making it more sustainable, not only during the Olympics in this supposed, uh, uh, Copenhagen Olympics, but beyond. And, uh, that's kind of where our idea Copenhagen, um, came to be. So I could go ahead and and kind of run you through our pitch and then I'll let my colleagues talk more about our experience and kind of the details of, of the competition. Right. So.
1: Okay. So we're back to hear everybody, all the listeners, we're going to hear the pitch. For yeah. Cup and Hagen, very cute name, well done uh, on, on the branding. So uh, with no further ado, uh, go for it. I know uh, since we just do audio version of this podcast, you'll we'll have to uh, disregard any of the visuals they have in the deck, and we'll right. just have to see how good you guys are pitching uh, orally.
0: Yeah, I think that's going to be a good test of the, the pitching skills. But um, So like I said, we are presenting Cup and Hagen. And our mission is to create sustainable beverage consumption beyond just sporting events. And with the Olympics coming to Copenhagen, we realized that there were two things, a problem and an opportunity. The first problem is the current beverage distribution within venues is inefficient, ineffective, and harmful to the environment. It's proven because it takes 1.5 million tons of plastic per year to produce this and 47 million gallons of oil to produce all of that plastic bottles that are simply going to be thrown away by 80% of consumers. But there is also an opportunity, and a large addressable market will be in attendance in Copenhagen. In fact, it's anticipated that in Paris 2024, there will be 600,000 people that touch base for the Olympics. And through our research, we found that 76% of fans buy a beverage at a game. 63% of fans would use a self-service kiosk, and 59% of fans would pay more for lower concession times. That's when we knew that Challenge 3 regarding fan engagement and community development was the perfect way to go. And that's when we created Copenhagen, the industry's first reward-based beverage refill system. And our product tackles the triple bottom line, planet, people, and profit. Through planet, we focus on RFID-enabled reusable containers. They link to a user's app and they track the beverage consumption. Regarding people, there's in-app reward points that accumulate every time the user refills using the same bottle or just attaching it to their account. And lastly is profit. The users are charged on a per amount refilled basis or they can purchase a daily pass in-app for the days they're gonna be in the events. And our, our customer journey is that of a flywheel. And we have our containers that link to our apps that are inter- intermingling with our stations and onward feed each other in a loop. And that's really how we built our business model into a B2B2C business model. And we started off by saying, hey, let's have refill stations. Let's partner with Coca-Cola and let's place these around the city. Let's have people consume these beverages with our containers and grow their rewards points and their basis on our in-app subscriptions. And as they experience more refill stations, in theory is you can take this on a global scale. And our market potential shows that when you're looking at just the highest attending league per sport, just the highest league for each sport times the average beverage consumption per fan, we're looking at a total adjustable market of $1.7 billion. Through our other research, we started asking questions and we said, Hey, how do you typically dispose of beverage containers that you purchase at sporting events? 57% of people said that they would simply throw it away regardless of what it was meant to, uh, made out of. And when we asked, how do you typically pay for beverages at sporting events? Over 90% of people said it's either card or non-contact payments. And they also said over 90% of people said that their biggest complaint for the beverage selling at sports events was either price or waiting time. And what we're doing isn't new. There are three other players in the space. There's Bevy that have innovative dispensing kind of like a machine at home where you can have sparkling water with flavors and stuff, but it's more of a consumer product at home. There's R-Cup, which is more of a reusable containers where once you're done, leave it in a bin. R-Cup comes, picks them up, cleans them and restocks. And then turn and turn takes a step further because you have the same reusable containers, but you're they're tech enabled that has GPS location. So if you were to litter and throw them away, they can actually go and retrieve it. Our business model, and our idea is we want to first impact Copenhagen and we aim to create a vast local network within there, expand it into Europe, in the United States. North America, South America, and then further enhance our stations to be able to tell when a container is in a, is made out of sustainable materials or not, to be able to then become less dependent on those containers themselves. And the whole idea is, let's take this idea from Copenhagen to the world. Thank you.
1: Wow. All right, Joe, I'm going to pretend that we're on Shark Tank and you're Mr. Wonderful and, and you have to respond first. <laughs> Kevin O'Leary um, is
2: about to so, speak. So be- Before we get to... Um, the cups I'm assuming that there is something that this could play out to any container correct food containers doesn't have to necessarily be a beverage container correct
0: yeah that is a very uh ambitious goal but I I think that you can make the argument that yeah this technology could go to other containers
2: so did you did you talk to professional sports teams especially in the New York area about this idea
0: we we didn't because mainly our, our, our main focus was addressing Copenhagen and trying to get their perspective.
2: Okay, that's good. So so when you talk to teams, and I would imagine when you talk to the IOC, they will say, why in God's name would we ever do this? Because we're making a lot of money off the cups, which is the truth. Now, the reason why I know this is there are three minor league baseball teams that I know of. And I think either Disney or like SeaWorld does it where you can spend an extra dollar and refill your cup. Um, but they do it at a loss. So but it's a
1: collect- you mean it's a collectible cup, like you'd bring a collectible with- cup, but you yeah. can't refill it though. You can't right. bring it
2: back and refill it. You're right. not allowed to bring it back and refill it. But, but what I've, and I've talked to, I actually talked to the Mets about this, about when they talked about all their, you know, kind of big ideas and what they want to do. And they're like, the beverage companies would never in a million years allow this because they, they, their count is based on the cups. And even if it's trackable, they make more money off of selling multiple cups. And I, I, I'm i 98% sure that they, there are studies that exist that show you are more apt to come back and buy another cup than you are to kind of refill your cup. So we make more money when people keep coming back for more cups. So so did that come up at all about the issue with, you know, this is really nice, but how do we make more money off of this? Because it's all about, you know, how much we make on the per cap.
0: Yeah. And I think to your same point about uh, coming back and buying a cup, we thought, how can we capture more of the consumption? And one of the things that we proposed was charging on a per amount refilled where you're charging per fluid ounce and saying, Hey, listen, you might not want to buy an- another bottle of Coca-Cola, but why not get half of, a- half of your cup? And we can really capture those people that um, would say, Hey, I wouldn't buy two, but I'll buy one and a half. And you can't really buy one and a half, but that's kind of the idea behind that. And we wanted to pursue that, but then said, Hey, that's one model that we could work, but how can we capture more revenue on the front end is that sell these daily passes where for 20, $25, you can consume as much beverages that you, as you want throughout the, throughout the event that lasts maybe a couple of hours. Um, so those are the two different ideas we had for revenue um, to address that.
1: Joe, I would say, let, let's come back to that. Cause I want to ask about sustainability as to your to your point about the conflict between desire for more revenue generation and the desire to actually play play out these sustainability ideas because mm-hmm. it's easy to talk about it's hard to do but let's let's pause for a second and get a little bit more context on in the story. So you guys did this pitch uh, via Zoom like just just tell us the story of how the pitch went and maybe someone else could tell that part of the story just share share some of the speaking if you wouldn't mind. So who wants to talk about how this all came together in the pitch and how you did the pitch? Yes, I, yes
4: I, I will take that part. Uh, initially, this project was divided into two phases. Uh, the initial phase, uh, as Mansi mentioned at the beginning, had three challenges. Challenge one was a marketing campaign. Challenge two was doing was using the resources already available in Copenhagen and going beyond. And Challenge 3, which is what we did, uh, was building a sustainable legacy program. Uh, and we based it on fun engagement and community development. Um, so the different universities decided to pick their own challenge. Uh, we went for Challenge 3, and we were the winners uh, of Challenge 3. That first page uh, was we only had 48 hours to do it. Um, and we divided the project into different sections. Um, and then the final day, uh, Mansi actually did a, the pitch for us, and it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a four-minute pitch. Uh, so, and that was recorded and it was sent to to a sports pro, and then the judges came back to to us with feedback, and they told us that we won. After that, uh, the next step of the of the competition was the final presentation in in London. Um, we couldn't go to London, but that pitch was a little longer. It was seven minutes, and we had the opportunity to work uh, with the feedback that they gave us. And it was Mansi, Hernan, and myself who, with the help of Naoya and Christina, uh, we pitched the the final idea and it was into a seven minute presentation. And that was the final pitch, and it was pre-recorded. and then it was like a q and a with the with the judges. And what happened after that one? Well <laughs> you wanna know the truth or the... <laughs> yeah, um, so yes, there was some technical issues uh in their end with yeah. basically with audio uh and the speakers, so we could hear them what they what they could ask us, but we couldn't wh- whenever we spoke, they couldn't hear us, um, oh God, so that was the issue okay. that we had, yeah.
5: Um, like we didn't we didn't have the chance to reply to any answers to, to any questions, sorry, that the judges made at, the, at that point. So that was a little a little difficult for us. And I wanted to add up add on some something that we're talking um, a minute ago, Joe and Menzi, about Coca-Cola and, and well revenues. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna quote Coke's uh, webpage right now. They are trying to uh, have their goal is to make 100 percent of their packaging recyclable globally by 2025, and to use at least 50% recycled materials in their packaging by 2030. Actually, uh, among their packaging types uh, or their approaches, they're considering plastic, aluminum, glass, but they are also considering this approach that says, bring your own. And I'm gonna quote them right right now. Many consumers carry reusable bottles and cups, and we are inventing a variety of ways for them to enjoy our products, including Coca-Cola Freestyle and the Sunny Pure Fuel machines. So that encourages us, encouraged us, sorry, to come up with this idea, to partner with Coca-Cola and to present this this approach of having their freestyle machines working with us through our product.
2: So by the way, Coca-Cola is not the problem. The problem is Anheuser-Busch because their per caps are totally different from from what um, sugary dark water is. But, but I think that um, it's interesting that you pick, first of all, who came up with the name, which which we didn't mention? Uh,
5: in reality, we all, we all came up with the name. We were discussing it, uh, saying different names, and it's I think- It's a very we're...
2: socialistic way to do it, but that's okay, yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good, that's
5: good to hear. Yeah. Um,
2: I think that um, it would be interesting, and it's interesting that you picked 2030, because these are problems that need to be solved, and it would be great for someday, that, that Stadia, especially in the States, I think, would wake up and say, hey, you know what? Maybe we are gonna forego some things, but we're also going to probably make more money because of that half drink thing, which I think is pretty interesting when you look at it, um, or the kind of you know, drink your face off type of thing, even if it's not alcoholic beverages to figure out how you can get as much as you can. Um, and if the cup is something that, that makes sense and you could bring back, or if it gets thrown out and it can be reused, know that reusable side is is incredibly incredibly valuable um and and i also think that you know the take-home factor of you know i'm looking around my office at some of the miscellaneous crap that i've collected over the years and you know there there are some things that you can actually attach which are sustainable um for your memories that you take home from something that actually happened so um you know those are it's all very admirable. You know, I'd love to hear from some of the other members about the challenges or some of the, what were some of the issues that you guys thought you had to kind of overcome to convince people that this was a good idea? Christina?
3: Yeah, sure. I could talk about that. Uh, the first one was like at the beginning, we all have different ideas. Um, or like even with the names, we have different ideas that we want to pursue. We have different focus. Some of us want to focus on sustainability and some of us want to focus on profit and I think it's about we already spent one day talking about different ideas and couldn't figure out a way to move forward but at one point I remember I, I'm not quite sure if it was Pablo saying that uh, we need to make the progress and it's not the competition within the team uh, we need to find a common ground that will make progress to move forward and we have to know that every other teams are having the same struggle with the time limit. But whoever finished the project, that will be a big win. So from Mm -hmm. that point, we were like enjoying the experience and mainly giving whatever we have to finish the project and present whatever we got.
1: How did the group come together initially?
3: We just signed up. So um, Danny sent out an email at the beginning of the semester asking whoever wants to be part of the Hackathon. Mm -hmm. and we just sign up individually and not until later we know we are each other's teammate.
1: That's great. Uh, good for you guys. So, um, by the way, was there a conclusion on this after the London experience or the, the experience uh, with, with that next round? Was there a, Were there winners announced?
5: Yeah, there was a winner. I, right now, I don't remember who he was. We're going to look it up real quick. But we didn't win. Um, we we actually don't know what place we came we came up in. So yeah, but that was about it. After after we presented, uh, we couldn't answer any question. We didn't really get any kind of feedback, you know. So yeah, basically that was it. Interesting.
2: Um, question for all of you: You all come from very different backgrounds, and probably Tom at the end of this, we should probably like take 10, the last 10 minutes to talk about their experiences in the program, which we haven't Mm, really touched on. How does this fly or not fly in the cultures that you grew up with in terms of consumption at games, whether it's football, baseball in Japan, wherever, you know, the Miami Heat, you know, how, how do you think that this would play out well today and play out well when Copenhagen starts in 2030? What are the challenges per country that you would see?
1: Let's, let's hear from Noel first in Japan uh, since he hasn't had a chance to speak yet why don't you take that one first
6: yeah I think um Japan has kind of unique like sporting culture uh because like people are very polite and like people uh, consider sports as more like um the place to feel more like unite as a group so like you know if you go to the baseball place I think you know people, are more united like chanting together and you know there are several chants and you have to remember everything and you know wearing shirts it's it's like um, a festival um so yeah it's it's kind of fun but i think you know people here in the u.s people go more like go crazy and go wow. fanatic and very passionate right i really love it so i think you know we have totally different like sporting cultures and yeah also like you know Um, when we are thinking about, when we were thinking about the, uh, Copenhagen, uh, we try to understand like as much as possible about like, uh, what they have, like what Copenhagen has, for example, like they explain, they explain, um, their water resource. It's, it's a little bit different from like sporting culture, but like they explain like their main resources is water. So they like consider water, very important resource. So that is a reason why our idea come up. Uh, so we ha- we would like to utilize the water and we would like to find a way to coexist with the culture they have. So I think that's very important thing to uh, consider, like s- to have sports event.
2: So today are the Yamiuri Giants saving cups and in- encouraging you to fill them up or are they taking you, telling you to throw them out? Which one is it?
6: Um, We're going to throw up, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, we buy there and we just throw away. But um, I think, but it's a little bit, I think um, in Japan, it's a little bit unique because I think we, um, as we saw in the last World Cup, we have culture to clean up at the stadium after the game. So like Mm -hmm. everyone just throw throw away our cup into their uh, trash box. Uh, after the game so in terms of that in terms of that i think it's easier to you know recycle or use the cup um so yeah i think you know depending on the culture i i think it's totally different way to do that
1: cool pablo i know you're a huge football fan la liga fan what is it like in spain
4: well um similar to the u.s in, in in a way in spain it's more like a 24 hour festive uh, whenever your team, your home team plays, right? So you wake up in the morning and you go on the streets and start, you know, chanting and drinking and eating. <laughs> um, and the game may not be until 9 p.m. at night. So, you know, you can predict how that ends uh, by right. the end of the day. So that's pretty much the culture of Spain. Uh, and it's a little different to to Japan, that's for sure. We don't have a a culture of you know being the cleanest people uh, of picking up after ourselves or you know throwing away the cups in the trash. Um, so it would be a challenge for for Spain. But as now I just said, uh, mainly for for this for the purpose of this project, we we had to focus on on Copenhagen and their culture as as a country and as a city, um, and that's when we came up with. With this sustainable idea,
2: La Liga fans are slobs. That's what I just took away from what to
1: just said.
4: All
2: started. right, well, that's one one takeaway. Christina, how how about for
1: you and your experience in sports, China?
3: I think sports in China is very unique as well, especially in my city, Chengdu. There is not a lot of um not a lot of avid fans, nor a very strong culture regarding sports, and just like. Any other events, people just throw out cups um, to the trash can or just leave it at the seats. Um, but right now, I think um, through the development of the idea of sustainability, the younger generation start to realize that um, we're gonna be more sustainable um, in all in all aspects of life. So I think people are getting better. And uh, in this project in Copenhagen, I obviously see the difference between the Western world and China. So that's a gap that I try to make some contribution as well. Hopefully. I'll
1: throw this out to all of you guys um, as we continue the, the kind of uh, different angles on this answer. It's been made clear through a lot of research and surveying that younger millennials and Gen Z, and you guys are kind of right on the cusp of Gen Z and millennials, are way more sensitive to and concerned about climate issues In our world then let's say you know joe and i would be considered boomers or, or gen x below us and it seems joe that our generation is okay with just letting things go on the way they've been going because we don't think about it as much but sustainability definitely is resonating more at least from what i've read with the younger generation do you guys think that will be a factor may maybe forcing the hand of these decision makers, whether it's the IOC or individual leagues in any of these countries, to be more thoughtful and actually, dare I say, Joe, sacrifice some of the potential revenue in an effort to basically appeal to more young fans. Because ultimately, people, people kind of vote with their wallet, as they say, and, and maybe maybe they'd be do better in terms of publicity. If they were more sensitive
2: to these issues so do you know who it comes down to honestly and i'd like to hear everybody's opinion it really comes down to the brand right because if, if budweiser turns around and says we want to do this and it's happened in australia and and i know we're on zoom and you can't see it somewhere in my office i have a cup that a friend of mine sent me from australia that actually lights up when the cup when the drink gets low and you know <laughs> to go refill it again and if you go to Stadia now, Tom, especially the newer Stadia, UBS Arena, City Field, I don't know about Yankee Stadium, there are refill spots. They're for water, but they're refill spots. So I think if you could find a brand, and maybe this is part two of what you guys do, is we go to you go to Budweiser, you go to Pepsi, you go to whoever it is and say, where would you do this for the first time? Mm-hmm. And how would you do it to, to kind of pitch it, kind of like what you know, Ally has done with women's sports. But I, I think when someone steps up, it will be follow the leader because they'll automatically see, for better or for worse, that somebody will be buying or not, and and that's. Kind of but do you
1: guys, is what I said accurate in your guys' eyes? Like, do, are you guys more sensitive to it? Do you think than the old old, you know, your parents or older people you you know or have worked with?
5: I I agree with you, um, Tom, because I, I I'm the oldest of the group. I think I'm, I'm 30, so. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a millennial though. Yes, so, you're
1: you're a legit millennial at, at that age. Right.
5: So yeah, I have seen that with my generation. Um my siblings are younger than me, and, and I see in them this uh, purpose of or this intention to recycle more and you and reuse and don't don't waste um unnecessarily. So I think to to Joe's point of of which brand would take the initiative. I think it, it could also come come to a point where rights holders or teams or leagues would, you know, force their hand into coming with these sorts of uh, solutions or approaches because mm-hmm. they could just say, okay, we're, we're going to work, work with brands that are only sustainable friendly, mm-hmm. you know, that, that provide with solutions um, towards sustainability. So. Right. That's that's my point of view about that. Good point. I like that idea.
1: Yeah. No. And Joe, with with ESG being a very important part of a lot of corporate governance right now, an emphasis on ESG, this mm-hmm. probably is kind of ineb- inevitable. I would say, although, I guess we haven't seen that many examples in the U.S., Joe, at least that that I'm aware of, yeah. where there's been there, a, what I a large some scale, kind of meaningful, yeah. positive yeah. step forward
2: mandy, we haven't heard from you in a while. What do you think about kind of uh, from an, you know, at least from a Southern South Florida perspective, how this could play out and where do you they think? They
1: don't it? like to party in
0: South Florida, Joe. You know that.
2: No, Not at all. No. We just had that event, that Formula One thing. That was there yeah, a couple of I heard about that, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, that's what I was going to say, right? I think Miami is pretty unique in the sense where people come here with like the the intention or like i guess the the notion that this city is like where you just party it up and trash it up and being a local whenever spring break comes and you look at the beach (sighs) and you go out or you go throughout the city you see the cans and you see you know cups and stuff and i think miami is i think if it works here it could work anywhere because if you look at it from folds, right, you look at the, the safety aspect of the drinks. If you have your own container that has its own lid and you know what's in it and you're controlling what's inside of it, you know, it's a safer way to consume. But on the sustainability side is you can still have fun and have a good time and and be able to bring your own container. And, and if not even that, hey, listen, you're not going to drink a whole 24 ounce tall boy of beer, but how about 12 ounces and then maybe another six. And I think that is really what Um, in in cultures like this could really work and also help mitigate the overconsumption that might just happen with saying, well, I just paid $15 for this 24 ounce beer. I got to finish it myself right now. Um, If you start, you know, consuming on a a per fluid ounce notion, you might be able to say, Hey, I'll just have eight and I'll pay for the eight.
2: And and I think it's also interesting when you, you talk about the chip and the measurability, because I don't know if you guys know this, if you've ever worked in concessions, having been around the open for a long time, the concession stands are tracked by cups. I mean, that's what it is. How many cups do you go through? And and that's what you're billed back on. If you work there, if you're managing that stand. And I'm sure we've all seen this time, but you know, someone will go up with a little kid and say, you know, can I get a glass of water because my son needs to take his medication. And they literally have to go through like five people to say, Oh, it's okay. You can give them one of these cups. And they take it from like the back shelf of like a little plastic cup that, that, you know, doesn't affect their count. So I, I think it's interesting, especially as you see, you know, technology slowly, very slowly evolving in the concession space, that this is, this is one that I think hopefully has a lot of legs uh, going forward. The biggest of which, and having just come back from Southern Georgia visiting my daughter, because it's actually been outlawed in New York City, is styrofoam. And okay. the amount of styrofoam that still exists in South Georgia when you walk into a place Absolutely blew me away. Yeah. Well, for ordering a soda or a, a water oh, yeah, or something. Anything. Yeah. Coffee. You get styrofoam in a co- coffee. Yeah. And a Styrofoam cup. That's old school. Yeah. Yeah. And and the only reason this this hits home with me, and then we can move on, is my daughter did Americorps for a year, and literally she worked for the Hackensack Riverkeeper, and I went and did cleanups with her, and saw I can't even tell you the amount of Dunkin' Donuts cups that washed up on on rivers in northern New Jersey. But to the point now, and I, I kid you not, I walk around Manhattan and if I see stuff, I start picking it up off the sidewalk and people look at me like I'm crazy. So, yeah, I to... just thought
1: of another angle that makes us even worse in a lot of stadiums. And tell me, tell me if you guys have seen this, too. And I, I believe it was pre-pandemic, maybe one of the last times uh, before the pandemic that I'd gone to a game. I think it was maybe Yankee Stadium. I still call it still called Yankee Stadium. Right, Joe? Um, it is neat. Yeah. When I ordered a beer, which of course was outrageously expensive—I don't know, nine dollars—I want to say for a Bud or something like that. Yeah. But you know, you're at a game; you got to order a beer, and they don't give you the bottle, plastic bottle. They take the plastic bottle and pour it into a plastic cup because I think they're worried about people throwing the bottle onto the field. 100%. We've we've done two bad things in one transaction, so they throw out the bottle, I throw out the cup when I'm done, and boom, we've, we're have we doing a really bad job with sustainability. It seems like there really needs to be a mindset change in the leadership, whether it's from the brand side or from the team ownerships, like whatever, the deal-making side, to say enough's enough. Because when you stop back, when you stop and think about it, it really is crazy what's going on. <laughs> and sports, by the way, is just one example. We could talk about Coachella, we could talk mm-hmm. about concerts at MSG, whatever, it's all over the place as an issue. And the, the thing that gets me probably the most riled up, Joe, for those of us in the burbs that sometimes go to Costco, when I go mm-hmm. in that back section of Costco where they have the bottled drinks, yeah. we, we gave up buying bottled stuff, plastic bottle stuff like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at these people putting in dozens and dozens and dozens of plastic bottles So almost their whole cart is plastic bottles. And like, I'd say 75% of the shoppers are doing that. And then you hear about the stories. How big is the thing out in the Pacific Ocean? You know, the the bottle waste, like it's the size of Australia or something. (laughs) So it feels like we've reached a point where this issue has got to be more actionable but it feels like the pressure's got to come from the next generation it's not it's not going to come from anybody else do you yep. guys all g- generally agree with that and if so other than this really good idea of copenhagen and participating kind of on a more theoretical academic level do you have intentions now yourselves to pursue some some things to help the cause
0: yeah I think um from from this experience and kind of meeting people in the space that have heard about what we've accomplished, we've actually have been reached out by some VC firms that said, if we were to pursue this, they'd be happy to, to you know, put some money behind us and, and that's fund it. Cool. And it's, I think, I think it's great. The only thing that I think I'm hesitant on in this idea as a whole is you have to go either the middle middleman side where you're creating the tech. And, and that's really where I think we're going to be able to pitch it is increasing efficiency and sustainability at the same point where you can find um, where the nearest stations are with the waiting times. So you can find your actual consumption down to the fluid ounce and create a more efficient environment, both for venues and for beverage brands. Or you go with the alternative route where you just are creating an actual beverage company that dispenses it and produces them in a more in a, like innovative way. I think so, if you had funds, you could make it happen, but I don't think it's... I, heavy, you, know.
2: you know what I would do? Again, And my last question was going to be, what's the next step here is, I would go to either Delaware North or I would go to Legends and say, this is what we did. What do you think? Because the end user is is going to be, di- it's going to be dictated by who's ever putting the cup in the stand. And I know that they've talked about it. And like I said, I can't remember the names of the teams and I could easily research them to find out who they were, but there are some minor league teams. And I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's SeaWorld that does it already because of their connections, obviously to Shamu and, you know other killer whales that do things that maybe they shouldn't do sometimes, but um, but I think that that's that's the place that I would go first to say, hey, we've got an idea. Has it come along in this way? And if so, who are, who's the consortium that we put together to make this happen? And that's what I would do. So and maybe yeah. it starts with a USL team. Maybe it starts with you know like I said a minor league baseball team or. And or like the w. WNBA,
1: like a, a WNBA. team that has embraced causes. Yeah. And again, thinking about the general idea of ESG yeah. in business, yeah. it feels like someone should make this a priority and find the solutions that will be meaningful, not just a good press release, yeah. which feels like a lot of the ESG stuff yeah. can be sometimes. Yeah. I don't want to be too cynical, but just, this is a really good, tangible example. I, I really commend you guys on thinking of the idea and having the, having the wherewithal and the courage to go forward with the pitch. Joe, did you want to
2: say something? Uh, not, actually, um, before we get to the having these guys go around the room and talk a little bit about their experience and what they've learned, and that's one of the questions I like, what's the thing that you learned that you didn't think that you would have thought about coming into the program? But I have a trivia question for everybody, and we'll take everybody go around once and then come back to it. Do you know what the product is that has the highest per cap when you go to a game that they make the most money on? What's the concession item, Pablo? Take a guess. Wait, uh, margin, margin, uh, or just dollar volume? Profit, profit, profit. pure profit. Okay,
5: yeah.
0: Uh,
5: soft drinks? Nope. Hot dogs?
2: Hot nope. dogs? Hot dogs? Nope. Not even okay. close. anybody else?
0: I wanted water. to see bottles pop- of water. water.
2: It's not water. Manti, what'd you just say?
0: Popcorn.
2: Very close. Peanuts? Monster. Nope. Cotton candy.
0: Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Less
2: than one penny to make a $7 bag of cotton candy.
0: Really? Wow. All that it is is water and question, sugar. Joe? Wow. So
2: Excellent. That was <laughs> from my USDA days. Made yeah. more money off cotton Although candy. Although it's not you like
1: you see money. a lot of people eating cotton candy at, at, at this point in history. In, but you do. If you,
2: if you go to baseball games, you do. Or you
1: go to I guess so. Garden. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's literally like taking a spoonful of sugar and putting it into that's your mouth. Yeah. They don't even give you the hat or the <laughs> stick anymore. Anyway. All right.
2: So, all All right. right, So, you want
1: to, yeah, go ahead. You want to just go around the horn and talk a little bit about what, you know, kind of you're learning so far with both this experience and the program? Yep. Christina, go, you you go first again.
3: Sure. So, I, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the digital media class, I am not a very avid fan of any sports. I'm just generally interested in bringing people together through sports and through other actions. Um, But throughout the semester, uh, through all the knowledge that I learned, not only from the digital class, but from like foundation class, uh, leadership class, I get a deeper understanding of how sports could build a community. And um, I think everything I learned from all the classes helped me uh, through the interview process. And I just accepted an internship uh, position from Octagon. And I
2: will do it. That's great.
1: Congratulations on that, by the way. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for letting me know. So, yeah, by the way,
2: before cool. everybody else speaks, Tom's already submitted his grade, so you don't have to suck up to him one more time.
1: <laughs> I actually have not, Joe, uh, just <laughs> as a matter of fact, only for the graduating students. Graduating students were due, the grades were due last Friday, but for everybody else, it's, it's this week. So yeah. these answers could be very influential. I'm just kidding, of course, saying that. Um, thanks, Christina. By the way, Do you want to just quickly mention the other entrepreneurial thing you're doing? Because Christina's doing something really amazing, Joe, that you probably never heard about. But just give a a brief overview of that, Christina.
3: Thank you for the opportunity. So I'm also building a platform called Foodie Pass, which is an online marketplace that allows neighbors to share um, supplies, home-cooked food. So if you couldn't finish what you made, um, instead of stringing to the trash, you could sell that with a lower price to people nearby you. Uh, We are doing it uh, in New York, New Jersey, and Long Island City. Um, Really? Yeah. Um, There are a couple hosts near Columbia University. Uh, If you ever have a chance, check us out. Thank you.
1: Yeah, Joe, it's called Foodie Path. Uh, Just the spelling is F-O-O-D-I-E, Path, correct? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, Joe, you should check it out. It's really cool. Cool. And uh, Christina told me about it when I first met her, and uh, I was so impressed she's doing this as, as a side hustle obviously. I'm going to sell my grilled chicken
2: work. with cotton candy tonight to some of them.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's meant to be a uh, kind of non-profit, Christina, just to be clear, right? Yes. So it don't is. get any big business ideas, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, Nancy, how about you? You want to go next?
0: Yeah. Um, so my background has been all over the place, but I started out in the sports industry as fan ambassador for, um, inner Miami CF. Um, and being able to see it from the fan perspective, and then getting into the program learning a lot about just the business as a whole i i now look at at sporting events when i go to them at a whole different level and then after doing this project and this hackathon i'm looking at like how people are consuming their drinks i'm sitting there i'm like this is a lot of drinks i never noticed how many people get all these cups and like it's just it's in your face now and you kind of can't unsee it and it's uh um, right. it's really cool and i think I'm really glad I'm in the program. I'm, I'm, I'm in one semester. I feel like I've learned uh, an immense amount of information. So um, and, and it, and it did help 100% in in this hackathon. I don't think that we could have done this hackathon just being you know five people that like sports. You definitely have to be in a program like this that allows you to be able to speak to a really finite level uh, of the sports industry.
1: Nice, thank you, Noya?
6: Yes um I have been really enjoying this program and I think um this program helped me a lot to learn like how to apply my skills into the sports industry um since I have a uh, working experience in IT company uh, I knew like how to write code a little bit and how to do data analytics or something like that and also like I have uh like volunteering experience uh, in a local soccer club So, like, I knew, like, a lot of stuff about sports and, like, um, those skills, but since um, I got into this program, like, I have been learning, like, how to apply my skill in the sports industry. For example, like, I took, like, BI class this semester and, like, business intelligence class, and which is about data analytics and visualization of, like, data and to get insight from the data. So, <clears throat> this class helped me a lot to, you know, utilize my skill uh, into the sports industry. And also, like, you know, as uh, Christina mentioned, like, we have so many case studies. So, like, you know, using, like, actual data, like, real-world data. So, I think, you know, this is a very helpful program, and I really enjoy it.
5: Great. Hernán? Yeah, well, I'll leave Paulo for the end, because we all want to hear what he has to say. So... Right. So, yeah, well, I've, I'm, I've been a really huge, huge fan of sports since I was really uh, like four years old, I, th- I think. I play at a like collegiate level, uh, semi professional soccer as well. But I think this program helped me so far, has helped me so far, understanding sports from another perspective beyond just teams or leagues, but also to understand how rights holders think, agencies, and other key stakeholders in the industry. Um, how important analytics and data are for sports is incredible. Uh, I've, I've learned so much about that during my first semester. And, um, and to the to Mancy's point, last time we were in a in a, in a NYCFC game. Uh, we went we, we went there with a with another cohort as well, and everybody was watching the game. And I went walking with mansi just to see the concessions and to see how people acted uh, throughout the stadium, to see infrastructure, to see how things work out. During the game, beyond just the game, you know. So, I think that's the main the the main thing I I take from my first semester in the program: learning about sports from others other perspectives. Uh, so yeah, basically that.
1: Right. Last but not least, Pablo.
4: Yes. Yeah, so c- similarly to to Hernan, uh, I also grew up playing sports. I was a tennis player all the way through college, and I graduated not too long ago in twenty twenty one. So um for two years i went back to spain and started working in, in the beverage industry actually <laughs> which is funny uh, since we were talking today about the the copenhagen project that we did um but talking more a little bit about the program i don't want to repeat what this uh guy said but i think the the most important for me is all the events and all the opportunities and all the connections that this program offers has been the the biggest learning for me. Um, again, this event, uh, majority of us joined in in January, and we didn't know what it was. We just signed up, we participated, and we got a, a really rewarding experience out of it, uh, and great relationships out of it as well. Um, you know, the class, the connections that you get with your professors, your your classmates, and also the the information sessions, the employer sessions, everything that the program offers. I think is a unique experience and a really rewarding experience so far. So um, that's, that's my take on it so far. Excellent. Great.
2: A lot of fun. And this was, I, I think we learned more time in this than we have in, you know, most of the podcasts that we do. So thank you guys for doing this. And um, I hope Cup and Hagen works out. I really do. So, you thank know, you. Look, it's, you know, as
1: I said to my class when they did their group presentations a couple of weeks ago, it's never easy to stand up and pitch. Um, and to do it voluntarily, uh, is really impressive. So, uh, to take time out of your schedule to do this as an extra, uh, assignment is, um, is really commendable. So well done guys. And the fact that you won the first round or got to, you know, got to the last round is really impressive considering it was a worldwide competition. So you should really feel good about that. It makes a ton of sense to me. And, and it's this conversation, Joe did help me think about this issue that I've thought about sporadically, frankly, usually when I'm at a stadium or at an event, uh, it's got to be addressed. It really is is kind of insane. Because again, a lot of talk about this topic of sustainability, but I can't really, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but I can't really point to many examples in the sports industry where I've seen it uh, come into play as actionable change that's been uh, introduced, so I hope something like this proceeds because it feels like the our world, this industry needs it. So maybe you guys can get it done when when you move on. One last quick question: Just go around the horn, quick. Now that you've had these entrepreneurial, this entrepreneurial experience, or some of you, multiple like Christina and Manzi, um, are you more inclined post-program to think about disruptive new codes and startups? as opposed to the corporate, the more corporate traditional route in the business? Just quickly, just give your answer.
4: Erna My answer is yes, yes. Yeah, 100%. okay.
5: Uh, I already have uh, created a, or oh, well, I brought a company to my country some years ago. So I, I've lived through that entrepreneurship uh, before. I rather, I mean, I, I want to to do something different, but yeah, I really like the experience as, as well. Nice, yeah,
6: Ayo? Uh, yes, and yeah, I actually met Tong met um, Thomas at the event, like, you know, by, held by uh, New York Venture Capital. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm more interested in, you know, starting up things right now.
1: Good. I think I know Manzi's answer, but so we'll, I'll go, we'll keep him last. Christina, what do you think?
3: Actually, I, I want to get more experience at the Big Hub uh, to, to understand better the ecosystem. Okay.
1: That's a good answer. Yeah, well done. And Manzi?
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, my answer is pretty clear. I think, for me it, it's 100 percent yes uh yeah. you know i I'm, I'm in the works of finding a way to revolutionize the ticketing system through uh through a, a new organization so hopefully yeah. i can talk to you more about that in the near yeah. future can as, you as, can
1: you yeah. say what you're doing this summer is it public knowledge
0: um yeah i think so yeah uh so it, it'll be public knowledge by, in in a couple weeks so uh co-owner of a uh, usl expansion team in usl league two uh, we're going to be in in South Austin in, in, in Hayes county and um, uh, we're looking to to disrupt the the entire soccer model and, and, and say hey listen we can we can create a sustainable experience both for the fans and concessions and uh, and creating season tickets not as tickets but looking at it as a membership as a daily pass and, and a yearly annual membership and creating a community across the nation in lower league soccer so I'm um, excited to talk more about that as we progress.
2: Has that has met uh Dennis Crowley, Tom?
0: I would He's been love trying it. to meet Dennis, Dennis Crowley. Crowley. <laughs> this is like the fifth time that I've tried. Dennis, right. if you're listening,
2: <laughs> please. Right. We'll get that, we'll get that done. Okay. Yeah, that I told him I
1: told him that you knew uh Dennis better than I did. I only met him when we did the pod a few years ago. But uh he so lives yeah. in the
2: Bowery. Just wander the Bowery, you'll find him at some point. Yeah. Yes.
1: Or or yes. does he still have the house up in Kingston or oh, near no yeah. Kingston? That's, yeah. that's yeah. It's true. Kingston uh, FC. Right. That's what I suggest.
2: Go to a stockade game. Come back and go to a stockade game. That's a good idea. idea. Yeah. Well,
1: it's only, what, an hour and a half, two hours up. Anyway, guys, thanks for making time for us. Uh, Really fun conversation, really fun show. Wish you all well for a a happy, healthy, and productive summer. We'll see, I guess we'll see everybody back in the fall. Um, So, again, congrats on a a job well done with Copenhagen and uh, Joe. That was a fun show. I think we should do more student shows. It's good to hear from the young, the
2: young ones. We absolutely should, because we learn more in these shows than we do, especially on these
1: subjects that I think are maybe a little bit less interesting to some of the older folks in the business. So um, anyway, well done guys. And we appreciate everybody listening. If you have any suggestions for guests, shows, topics, whatever Joe and I are all ears. you know, you can find us easily in the socials and um, thanks everybody for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode.
0: plus.